This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week's slider is Season 4, Episode 5 and 13. This wave of light surged out and covered everything, and when it cleared, they were gone. Slide wave. And being in the eye of the storm, it didn't take you. It, 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 it shouldn't have happened. I, I, I did everything right. Except test it. That was the test! Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast with a new brother character. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Uh, there was a line in one of these episodes that I thought was a real line of wisdom from uh, Sliders, and it was, the universe has no conscience, so we have to. What'd you think about oh, that? Oh, that's a nice thought. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of deepness from uh, Sliders, a show that's not deep at all. Thanks, Quinn Mallory. Yeah. Well, we're moving into the fourth season of Sliders this week, so we've done it. We've sort of passed into out of the Fox phase. It's now been canceled by Fox, and it has been picked up by the Sci-Fi Network. So we're entering season four of the Sci-Fi years. And they actually make a weird little joke about it in one of the episodes that we uh, we watched, huh? Yeah. There's a real weird wink and nod to the audience that really took me out of it. Yeah, it was almost like an Arrested Development joke. I was like, oh, weird. It was very funny. I mean, it wasn't much to take me out of the uh, the deepness of that episode. Yeah. So I was just like, hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah. But before we get into this this new this new sci-fi version of Sliders, Jordan, we did a little thing this week. Um, Sliders, as <laughs> it was coming out, I think this is probably early in the run. They were clearly excited about it. I guess they weren't going to make action figures. I guess Sliders didn't lend itself to action figures. But they did make a series of comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Acclaim Comics. Do you remember Acclaim? Well, technically Armada Comics. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's it's it was all from um, Acclaim. It was Acclaim Entertainment, which was a video game company. And they bought, I think it was in about 94. They sort of uh, did the unfortunate thing just at the peak of comics during that time where things went crazy, you know, after like the death of Superman and that sort of thing. They bought Valiant Comics um, from about, I think it was about 94 to 2004. And they sort of, the idea was, we're already making video games. We'll buy all these comic book characters, and they'll be interchanged. You know, you can make video games about these characters. You can make comics about video games. And then they also bought the rights to things like this, like sliders and that sort of thing. Yeah, I didn't read comics back then, so you'll have a little more insight into this. But I did look at that very quickly. And the one thing I did know is I was like, oh, yeah, I played Turok the Dinosaur Hunter for N64. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a few titles that you'd, uh, you'd recognize, and there's a few characters that kind of almost kind of uh, broke into uh, popular culture, like Exo Man of War and things like that. But for the most part, I think it was um, not a great acquisition by, by Acclaim. Now, I think in these comics, there's an advertisement for a comic where Exo Man of War gets together with Iron Man. Yeah, because they're very similar characters. I like Exo Man of War. I think he's a cool character, um, but it's the same sort of thing. He sort of has like a sentient suit that gives him power. So in some ways, he's very similar to Iron Man, where it's, it's more about the suit and what the person's doing inside of it. Marvel really didn't care about Iron Man at that point if they lent him out to Valiant Comics. You know, it might have been the point where Marvel was uh, going bankrupt. I'm not sure. I don't know any of these comic book characters, but I did see ads for them all. I was just like, Exo Man of War, the suit makes the man, but if the man isn't good enough for the suit. And I'm just like, what? What does that mean? He's like, I think his name is Eric. I'm trying to remember. He's like, he's like some ancient person, and I can't remember. I think he's like a Norse person, and he got a suit. I can't remember the mythology behind it. <laughs> you knew at one point, though. I did. At one point, I did, yeah. Well, that's why you're reading these, Jordan. You have all the insights, but... 
they made a bunch of Sliders comics. I believe you're right. It was under um, it was under their uh, a slightly different label. I guess they had, when they bought Valiant, um, they put they came up with this uh, this Armada comic line to yeah. do um, tie in comics, tie in comics to things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am looking at my notes here. I've got a, I was seeing a few things. Before, let's go back really quick because I noticed this in my note. I, since you read these comics, since you read all the Valiant comics, did you watch the Bloodshot movie starring Vin Diesel? No, because uh, I, I won't say too much of it, but I was speaking to someone who had worked on Bloodshot and uh, and I was asking them about that. And both of us were so disappointed about how crappy that movie looked. Neither of us had seen it, but you can watch, you could read some of the later line that came out a few years ago and they're actually really interesting because he's, there's something interesting to with the character, but that was like, that's terrible. That's like, uh, it's like the old Dolph Lundgren Punisher. That's what it looked like to me. <laughs> so you did know who Bloodshot was when it came out. I did know who Bloodshot was. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a comic book. <laughs> yeah, it's a comic book. <laughs> well, Jordan, let's talk quickly before we get into these episodes about the Sliders comics. So they released kind of, I would call them six stories, maybe. They did like six stories. Some of them were multiple issue stories and some of them were single issue stories. So like uh, a few of them are like there was Armada, which is like a two comic book uh, series, which um, was very funny because it was very... I'm not sure if this came out before, but I'm guessing it did. But it was really foresaw the Cro-Mags. Oh, this, this is the one of the two-dimensional people? Yeah, yeah. These, it, it's, yeah, like, enemies, it's weird. They're called the Zerkuvians. Yeah, and I was... I, I don't know. Did you think they were a threatening sort of bad guy? I mean, I like them more than the Cro-Mags. You know what's funny? I guess I do too because I can't even remember what the Cro-Mags look like or what they were wanting. They're uh, cavemen, Jordan. They're cavemen who want to take over the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, but well, these guys are two-dimensional and they want to be three-dimensional and they get become three-dimensional by sucking life out of normal humans yeah they steal a little bit of flatland and then they have these like two-dimensional creatures get to three dimensions and they in every dimension they go to they meet quinn mallory who helps them go to a new universe where they yeah they suck the energy in a very like ec comics like tales from the crypt kind of way the person becomes like a walking corpse as they sucks the energy out of them and so mm. it was interesting i i was an odd thing for sliders because they go into different dimensions but this is just like what if we also talked about 2d and 5d yeah and uh weirdly drawn by uh i think i mentioned this to you uh when we were talking this week i emailed you uh by dick i don't know how to pronounce his last name i think it's jory dano who was kind of like a big name in the 1970s in comics as an inker. I didn't really know him too much as a penciler, but I guess he did that. I have to say, it's sort of like a lot of times where like someone was quite good at something when they were younger, and then it, this is like a much, much older version of him, and I was like, ooh, this art is very weak. This is not good. <laughs> well, you have to assume these are banged off pretty fast. Yeah. I did not care for the character design for Quinn or Wade, who look nothing like their characters. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure. Sometimes the art was so bad that I, w- I thought maybe they couldn't get their likeness, like they didn't get permission, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's just bad art. It was just a generic uh, leading yeah. hero. <laughs> in, in one of the comics, one of the later ones that uh, we also read, the one where I think it's like the Aztec one, which is pretty offensive, when he has his shirt off all the time, I was like, this artist really thinks that Jerry O'Connell has like an eight pack. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, in that one, they do a little adventure. They have to stop these 2D men from, like, wiping out other multiverses. And then they come back, and there's a next. the next one in the series was Ultimatum. It was another two-parter in which they went to uh, a world that really believed in religion. But what it was was uh, Jerry, O'Con- or Jerry O'Connell's character, Quinn, on that world, was faking the rapture with sliding technology. And they could only stop it by going to Satan world. <laughs> Yeah, that that was weird. That was one of the ones where I thought the comic was over, and then it took a whole turn, yeah, to Satan World. I was like, well, this is something. But you know what's funny? It it has something that's very consistent with the TV show, which is, well, firstly, I thought the dialogue was very similar to the show, not necessarily a compliment. Um, it's just as mess, as much of a mess as the TV show, and the um, the concepts of the world are as shallow as the TV show, where they're just like. Yeah, it's religion. I'm like, are you making a comment? They're like, well, we don't even know. <laughs> no, they don't. They have no idea what's happening. It's very funny. I also found the uh, stories to be. I'm like, they're not very good, but they're literally no worse than the actual episodes of a episode of Sliders. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, that then spun into a three-part series, Darkest Hour. It was called, in which the Circuvians return, which I was surprised by. <laughs> yeah, I know. Someone thought they were strong enough that they're like, yeah, bring these uh, these two-dimensional people back. The Zakurvians get their revenge from when Quinn banished them into, like, the nether regions or whatever by making the Sliders have slightly angry personalities. Yeah, the only one that made sense, though, was Wade is given rage, right? So you see her, like, kind of lose it a few times and she, like, attacks someone who ends up being a robot or something. But then what were the other twos? Do you remember what their their uh, heightened personalities were? Quinn was greedy for some reason. He really wanted a kid's pennies. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Rembrandt's made sense, I think. His was, he was just like uh, vain. It was like vanity mm. was his, was his I guess, sin of choice. And then Rembrandt's was, he was like yearn for respect. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I should say, um, one thing I felt while, while reading these comics was how much um, I prefer the original cast to the cast we have now, which we're going to talk about in the episodes, because the cast is adjusted once again. Uh, I, I prefer the original cast. Fair enough, fair enough. I don't remember this if this is the one, but there's uh, one of them, they like meet a warrior race who helps them like defeat defeat a problem they run into. And my favorite line from the entire comic book series was uh, this like it's, it's essentially like Thor or uh, Aquaman or something, and the the man they meet yells, "Twist physics into fury." <laughs> I don't remember that. I was like, "That's a great line." Twist physics into fury is a great line. <laughs> Next up, they did a bunch of like one offs. So uh, they did one called Narcotica, which is a one off, which was written by Jerry O'Connell Ugh. as an episode of Sliders that they were gonna make, but the I guess it never went forward, so they turned it into a comic instead. So Jerry O'Connell got his day in the sun. Yeah, one. I, it, this is kind of to my point earlier. I don't know what the message was. Was it like a anti-drug PSA comic? That's what it sort of felt like. It felt like one of those free comics you'd get as a kid that has Spider-Man in it. And then you'd realize halfway through it's not a real Spider-Man comic because he wouldn't stop talking about drugs. You know, it was like one of those. Yeah, they go to a world where drugs are government mandated and everybody has to be high all the time. And the double of... Arturo is like leading the anti-drug revolution. They're like hippies in this world. It all makes very little sense and ends in a very like, I'm like, what happened here? And like Timothy Leary shows up. You're like, oh yeah, he's, he likes drugs. Not in this but, world. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but my favorite thing of that comic was at the very end. I don't know if you read the, um, they had like a little, what you call it, like a, uh, like behind the scenes kind of story. And it talked about Jerry O'Connell writing the comic. Did you read it? I did not. 
it's it's hilarious because what it seems like is it's really pumping up how great he is and like he does this and he was really excited and we didn't know what to expect but what becomes very clear is he apparently just phoned in his idea and by phone it i mean literally he did it on the phone and he was just like he gave them an idea and he called them a couple times and then someone else wrote the comic <laughs> well that checks out yeah yeah it reads like that too and then there is blood and splendor which is yes they go to a world where the aztecs remained in power but mm-hmm. there's a Weird side thing where now they reveal that the slide holes that they go through can have supernatural worms that attack you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They attack them. And I think don't they eventually defeat them by shooting another portal directly at them? Yeah. Somehow they get laser guns, which they shoot at them, which sort of works. And then Quinn's like, what if I shoot my portal timer in the slide hole? And this whole thing, I was just like. Why haven't we had an episode where they just slide around in the slide hole? Like, is this something that could happen? I didn't realize they were had so much stuff they could do. You know, it's an interesting point. It's something I realized we never actually see in this show. Because in the comic, they show you in the slide hole. But in the show, you only ever get the POV of the person going through. We never once see them in it. I guess it's probably budgetary limitations. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely budgetary limitations, and maybe it's just not something that, like, this part of their world. But it was interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, we never, like, get to hang out with them when they're sliding. And and in the comics, they really postulate you can talk, you can have a chat, you can just have a nice time while you're sliding. Well, because, you know, they never mention the show how long they're actually experiencing it, right? Like, is it because they sort of imply you jump through and immediately pop through in the other end, right? But in the comic, it seems like they're floating for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, long enough to fight supernatural worms. Yeah. And the one thing I also liked was that, um, uh, uh, what's his face? What's old Tubby? What's his name? Arturo. Arturo. He, uh, um, I only say that because they mention how fat he is like every three pages in the comics. He at one point says when they see those like uh, space alien worms that are coming in, he's like, oh, this was bound to happen because of cancer. <laughs> I was like, okay. There is an indication, especially in this next one, Deadly Secrets, that Arturo is sick, which made me wonder, I'm like, is this taking place at the start of season three when he's sick? Maybe, I'm not sure. But in Deadly Secrets, they go to a post-apocalyptic world that's full of, like, corporate warfare, and, like, Mm. there's, like, the corporation that runs the Earth and the corporation that runs the space stations, and they go to space, and, like, Wade's parents are revealed to be dead, which I was like, well, they're not in the show, but okie dokie. Yeah. Also, in one of the comics, un- unrelated to this all, they have uh, they gave her a middle name, and I thought that was so bizarre to do that. It was very interesting. They're really, like, taking some interesting liberties with these characters to the point, like, by this point, they're just like, ah, whatever's canon in the show does not affect us anymore. Yeah, yeah. I did, like, in uh, her parents were killed because they were protesters protesting nuclear war, like, that, the real way, and so they were shot for some reason in front of her as an infant. And then they go to this other world and like, on this world, the baby was shot. I'm like, okie dokie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, tough decision. All right. We kind of we kind of glossed over them, Jordan. But I think the most important part to me reading these comics was all the different worlds they went to. So I've written down every world they visited <laughs> over the course okay. of these comics. And you can tell me what your favorite ones were. All right. They went to a world full of giant ants. That's right. Yep. They went to uh, the Raz world. That's where they met the uh, 2D beings who were, like, just vaporizing people, turning them into, like, uh, skin bags. I didn't like that. They went to Roswell world, where the Roswell aliens did land on Earth, made a deal with human leaders to turn humans into just food. (laughs) So uh, there's, like, a McDonald's that serves people. (laughs) I forgot. that. I liked how quickly in that that apparently all of the uh, governments of the world were like, yeah, we'll just sell people out. 
Yeah, no problem, no problem. So that's what happened at Roswell in that world. Uh, there's Atlantis world we mentioned where the lost city of Atlantis wasn't lost, and now they're this, like, super superior Spartan race who, like, can beat aliens and, like, I don't know, they're they're bored because there's nothing left to fight on Earth, so they start sliding with Quinn to fight aliens again. Yeah. Eh, meh. And then finally in that comic, they end up on Obesity World. <laughs> I don't remember that. Do you not remember at the end of that comic, they slide into a world where everything's all you can eat and everyone's like obese and re- and Arturo's so happy. He's just eating all the time and making fun of Wade for watching her weight. Well, so far, that's my favorite world. <laughs> uh, in the next one, they start off on Circus Clown World, where everyone is a circus clown. Oh, yeah, that was so odd. And then they end up going to the religious rapture world where people are being raptured and finally ending up on Satanist world where they do a real classic DS9 uh, mirror reverse thing where on that world, Wade is a, like, dominatrix. Yeah, yeah, meh. Uh, Then they go to a world where Nicole Brown is convicted of murdering O.J. Simpson. (laughs) All right, my favorite world. (laughs) So weird. They're there for like one page and all you see is a newspaper announcing that. I'm like, so this world's different in that Nicole Brown killed OJ and also she was convicted for it. Yeah. So bizarre. They then slide to just a regular world. The only thing happening in that world is a kid is selling lemonade. There's nothing strange there. Hmm. It's hard to beat killing OJ. Well, then they slide to Cyborg World where humanity has become part robot and or lives on the internet. Yeah, that's right. From there, they slide to a world where, I guess, America is obsessed with Japan. It's like it's like a weeb world or something. You know, oh, that's funny. I forgot about that. And all of them are, like, right on the line of offensive, all these places they go. It's just really weird. Everyone just loves Japan in this world. And they also each have their own ronin for some reason. But that person is Japanese right. for some reason, which is extra weird. Yeah. Um, and then they go to a world that is seemingly perfectly normal until the very end where the firefighters ride elephants to put out fires. That's right. That's right. That brings us to the classic drug world where most we spend most of the time in that one comic. Mm-hmm. We briefly see them go to cave world where all the earth cities are built in caves and I guess goblins live in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what that was about. Uh, and then Aztec world, of course, that was one of the major ones. We see them go to a all-desert world, a world that is just a desert for some reason. Yeah. And it finally ends up on that post-apocalyptic corporate warfare world. So a lot of worlds were visited over the course of these few comics. Yeah, I would still say the one where um, Nicole Brown kills OJ. That's my favorite. It's so weird. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, the comic is like, they were funny because they they're the quality you think. They were like, the art's not very good. I, I actually uh, was thinking about it earlier. One of the comics, it's one of the first ones, I'm almost positive the art wasn't finished. And there's a couple pages where it looks like they just had the pencils and they've colored over it to kind of mask how unfinished it was. Like some of it seems a little shoddy. And I don't know if it was just it was rushed into production or it's just just a little shoddy. But like they're not great comics like the pacing is not great the stories are not great um i i kept having to flip back to make sure i wasn't missing pages because they just it it just seemed like things were happening out of order they're just they just weren't terribly well constructed comics well since you're a big art comic guy i was going to ask you about this in the jerry o'connell penned narcotica why were they changing the artist every page i have a feeling what it probably was 
was they had an artist that was going to do it and because of timeline he just couldn't finish it so they were like well we'll get someone to finish the comic but we'll just have them interchange like sometimes you do that like in a comic where it's like you know there'll be a backup story or something and and sometimes because an artist can't finish another artist will take it over but this was a little bit more jarring than that well it was like every it was like there was three artists in every page they swapped so like Every page, so every three pages, it would go back to the, the beginning artist, but it was just like very drastically distinct, different art styles, very drastically different. And I was just like, yeah, is this a creative choice? I because it didn't play into the story at all. I I think I think they tried to make it into ones. We're sort of like, well, we're not going to have the time to finish it all, so we'll have three people working on it. But it just, I would agree with you. It sort of is more jarring than anything. What an odd series of comics, Jordan. But. Yeah. We read them. That's all that matters. We're sliders <laughs> completionists. That's right. Oh, you said you didn't read one of them. Which one didn't you read? I didn't finish. I, well, I read part of it. I didn't finish the one that uh, Wade's parents were killed and got when they went to space. That's ah, one I didn't I finish. Um, it ends with uh, they expose the corporations by destroying the rainforest to write uh, their corporates, corporations are bad in the rainforest so big that people on space stations see it and then they get mad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, makes sense. It didn't make any sense at all. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's get into it, Jordan. Okay. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 4, Episode 5, World Killer. The sliders land in a deserted San Francisco and discover that the entire population disappeared when Quinn began sliding. Quinn meets his double. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I'll say this about his double. I like the low budget way of going hey we need him to look different he'll have long hair how do we hide that it's a wig put a hat on he's got a real grunge look this double real grunge yeah he's grunge look yeah yeah jordan i once again i think i saw the name of this episode and somewhere along the way in making this podcast i created a different episode in my head so i was very confused as i watched the episode waiting for what i thought the story was going to be to kick in what did you think it was going to be i think I thought the episode at some point, I must have read it and thought it was said Killer World. Because in my mind, I had read a synopsis that said this episode was about a world they slide to where everyone in the world is a psychopath killing people and they're stuck on it and their doubles were going to be trying to kill them. That's not at all what happens in this episode. No, it's not. I don't know if that's a better episode, but I'll say this. There is a little bit of weird moralizing that happens at the very end of this episode between, as you said, there's going to be two Quins in this episode. And they're going to disagree quite a bit of this, and and they're sort of like, sort of on a moral grounds. And I and I thought, uh, Arquin, the one we know, was really up on his high horse because he's done the exact same thing to slightly less degree. You know what I mean? It's like killing one person and killing ten people. It doesn't make that much difference. Yeah, hundred percent. Arquin is really on his high horse for something his his double has done we'll get into but that he has also done like he has also done the same thing maybe not to the same extent but literally has done yeah. the same thing and it's just like well you're you're hardly free from sin here uh, original quinn yeah but it's weird it's almost as if the writers don't remember that and because they lean so hard into it it was just like a oh that's weird but anyways we start with our our and if we should remind people there's a new character we have quinn we have rembrandt uh maggie <laughs> and is that right that's it jordan because as this episode starts there's no more wade she's gone yeah she's suddenly gone yeah there's only three sliders and this is of course because uh her the actress who played wade left at the end of the last season um and 
I, we don't have to get into it, but apparently, I, I did a quick look. Apparently, between seasons, she left, so she's not at the beginning of this season. And apparently, they just write her off. And I, I, both of us have heard this already, but like apparently, mm-hmm. off screen, they announced that she was captured by the Cro-Megs and sent to a breeding planet, uh, which is a gross way to get rid of a character. And apparently, also, the specific and personal work of the new showrunner, Peckinpah, who uh, seems like a real dirtbag. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's as about as gross of a way to write out a character as possible, but here we are. Yes, this is what has happened. So we're, we're down to three sliders. Poor Wade has been removed uh, because the show is just getting worse and worse. So she's maybe saved, if mm-hmm. anything, from the show. Oh, and one other thing. Some, someone else is missing. Who's that? Rembrandt's mustache. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Rembrandt has shaved his mustache. He looks pretty much the same, though. It's not like when Tom Selleck shaves his mustache and you're, like, shocked. <laughs> yeah, he looks fine. He looks pretty good. But yes, they, they, they're there. They're on a world. They're getting ready to slide. They're basically counting down time. And uh, what we see is they're, they're leaving a revival movie house. Uh, did you catch the movie they mm-hmm. were watching on this world? Yeah, they're playing uh, The Man Who Would Be King. Starring? Humphrey Bogart. And? Oh, I can't remember. Who else was in that? Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Yeah, and she doesn't like Humphrey Bogart. That's, that's, we, we learned something new about Maggie. And I'm going to argue, this is a very different character, Maggie. Is it not? I don't know. I didn't know her very well. Well, she was this, like, military tough person before, and now she's like, I don't know what she is. She's she's something, but I don't know what she is. Jordan, what I like is that you're just like, yeah, they went to go see uh, The Man Who Would Be King starring Gable and, uh, <laughs> Gable and Bogart, a movie that doesn't exist. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> that movie was... I don't even know it. I didn't know. That movie was made in 1975 by John Huston, as they say on the poster, but it was with Connery and uh, Michael Caine. Is that right? I wasn't familiar. I just was like, oh, sure. No, no. What there's, what that is is John Huston tried to make that movie in the 50s with Bogart mm. and, uh, and, and Gable, but they both died before he could get it off the ground, so he never ended up making it till the 70s. Oh, that's a little fun thing then. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In, in, this, in this world, the movie was made. Yeah, that's what it is. And so they're coming out of that. They're, it's time to slide. And they, they do what on paper is kind of a clever, a clever slide that I, I, I was like, I theoretically would like this, but they do it in the laziest possible way. And what it is is they, t- they keep a one shot. They follow the sliders. They walk into an alley. They open the slide, the slide pole like behind a wall so we can't see it. And then they don't cut away. Basically, they walk into the slide hole, which you can't see, and then a tumbleweed rolls by, indicating that they've moved to a new world. Mm-hmm. And then they come out of it. And, like, it's a nice idea to do a one-take where, like, they're moving from world to world and we don't see a cut. But usually when we see them exit a slide hole, they're, like, flying out at, like, top speed. It's always, like, a really violent thing. The actors lazily walk into it and then lazily walk out of the wall. I'm just like, they, no one put any effort into that. <laughs> Well, I actually, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I actually thought that was going to be a point because what I thought at first was something has changed and every, what I thought it was going to be was they're going to go through the slide hole and come back out again. Like it was going to be a thing that they've realized it's not working the same way because that's why I thought they were reacting that way. But you're right. It was just, they're just like, yeah, we could walk now. <laughs> and they come out and this world is uh, full of abandoned homes and cars. Like, this entire world has been abandoned at some point. Um, but that repertory house is still there, Jordan. But it's playing a different movie this time. I didn't, I didn't catch what it was playing. What was it playing? It's playing The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, and uh, dogs attack them. Jordan, who's The Wizard of Oz starring, though? I didn't pay attention. It's starring Shirley Temple and W.C. Fields. <laughs> sure, okay. Which is the original cast people thought was going to be in The Wizard of Oz. All, all, all I'm getting from this is that 
they spent more time thinking about putting these little Easter eggs in than actually writing an episode that's interesting. Well, it's the art department's having fun, not the writer. Yeah, there you go. It was really good. Both of those things were, like, really good. I was like, this is some fun slider stuff. They don't do enough fun stuff like this. But it's uh, the world they're in, they notice right away, is very abandoned. That's the... It's actually a pretty good shot. It's like your your classic dystopian thing. There's cars on the road. You can see they've been there for a while. And they're like, oh, it's not good. And immediately a wolf attacks Quinn. And then they have the funny sequence where Maggie somehow gets into a car, pulls out a gun, shoots it off in the air, and the dogs run away. And she's like, good thing that door was open. I was like, he didn't need to explain that. <laughs> it was a police car, so I guess that's why. Yeah. So they head to Quinn's house because they've, they've landed in San Francisco and uh, – Quinn's house this time, it's it's basically the same, except it's it's full of academic trophies that Quinn had tried to win but never did, indicating that the Quinn of this world is smarter than him. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little shorthand for that. And they reveal that on this world, it was his mother who died, not his father when he was young, changing changing his future, I guess, or changing who he was. My favorite part is he takes a photo off the wall, and what it is, it's a newspaper clipping of the time his mom died. They like cut out a newspaper the tragic death of this woman and they hung it on the wall to look at every day. Yeah. It's 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 either um you're a real sicko or you're going to become Batman or something if you do that. <laughs> and in the basement they go to try to find, you know, the sliding technology see if they can use any of it and uh it's all been destroyed, it's all been trashed. Um but what we kind of get here and it'll come up a couple times in the episode, but really in this moment right here which is very helpful for us, the characters do a quick summary of what's been happening in season four Mm -hmm. yeah and we and we that's with the first mention of uh the brother character which we're gonna meet in the next episode yeah quinn sort of apparently in season four what he what has happened is he's learned he is adopted and not actually from the original earth he thought he was from and at some point has bumped into his brother who's given him coordinates and what his mission currently is is to get those coordinates into his timer slider so he can get to the world his brother is trying to send him to so this is apparently the mission that's happening in season four we clearly missed a little bit off the top here but they catch us up real quick yeah so i guess at some point someone behind the scenes decided we don't want the whole point for them to be getting home a similar to like voyager that kind of happened in voyager right Where like i think they had a bit of a course correction and they were like they still want to get home, but we don't want that to be the driving force of every episode, right? We want them to have it just in the background. So I think someone has done the same sort of thing here. Well, certainly they've removed that home from being part of Quinn's story. So he has no home there, apparently. But also they reveal that Rembrandt says at some point, he's like, they must have got back to the original Earth because Rembrandt says, hey, the Cro-Mags conquered it, so I have no home to go to either. And I was like, oh, I guess that's what happened to Wade. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. So... Original Earth, the thing they've been seeking this whole time, is now conquered by Cro-Mags. So there's just, uh, I don't know what's going on anymore. I guess they have to now defeat the Cro-Mags? Yeah. And also, are the Cro-Mags that good a character to keep bringing back? I would argue no. Well, I guess season four, it's a new thing. Clearly, the, we knew Cro-Mags were going to come back. And this is clearly when they switched to sci-fi. The, um, they, they changed gears and they're like, it's an action-adventure show. We need an overarching bad guy. And, and the Cro-Mags are back. You would have preferred the Sarkovians, but what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. They'd be like, we're flat. We want to be less flat. <laughs> uh, at any rate, we'll move on with the story because Quinn's double shows up, as we've said, in a very uh, a wig and a toque, looking great. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. quickly learn that this Quinn, as we've seen from the house, he's smarter than regular Quinn. He's a little more reckless than regular Quinn. He is uh, he, he's, he's uh, a bit of a... Um, 
I mean, a smarter show, what would they have done is they would have this as a reflect. Quinn would be seeing a reflection of himself that he doesn't like, his like worst traits like amplified. Mm. In this show, it's more like he's just like, I'm better than you. Stop being a jerk. <laughs> yeah, you're right, though. That would have been a more interesting turn to sort of uh, have this version of yourself and go, oh, geez, I do have those tendencies and they're so magnified and this is something I should learn from it. And then because I'm learning from it, I'm going to solve the problem of this episode and thus win the day that'd be a good episode but we quickly learned that the doubles the double of quinn he had built his own slide device but it was more powerful than quinn's and when he went to test it everyone on the planet disappeared and he never figured out why and he got upset and he smashed his device but the slide is very qu- quickly put together that what happened was when he turned his device on he slid everyone on the planet off the planet at the same time so that's why the world has been abandoned for three years yeah which is like I think kind of an interesting concept, but again, it sort of becomes this weird argument between the two Quins, as we said before, where the Quinn we know is like, how could you do that? You're such a jerk and you're so reckless and all this. I was like, literally Rembrandt is here because you did the exact same thing and it just happened to hit Rembrandt. His was just bigger because he had a stronger machine. You did the exact same thing. It is true. I mean, his complaint that he's reckless is odd from yeah as you said he brought rembrandt along with him which rembrandt was an unwilling participant but also like arturo's dead because of quinn now and poor wade has been sent to a nightmare plan yeah that's true so uh, our quinn has a lot to answer for himself yeah but he but he doesn't recognize that and he i find him to be quite irritating in this episode yeah it's not a great look for sure at any rate what they offer to do is they're going to help him rebuild his slide device so he can they can slide to wherever he sent his people, the people of this earth, and bring them back, basically. And that's, and that's going to be the premise of this. And then there's like a B story that runs throughout it where Maggie is going to hang out with the double Quinn, and they're both just going to talk about their daddy issues? Yeah. And they're also going to kind of lean in a little bit that to remind the viewers that maybe she likes Quinn and maybe they'll have a relationship at some point. Yeah, it was odd like i mean i guess it's nice it humanized the double quinn a little bit but it all that did by humanizing double quinn it like only further alienated me from like normal quinn hmm. Hmm. at any rate uh with double quinn's super powered slide device built they're they're gonna get ready to go they're gonna slide after them and uh there's a weird bit where like rembrandt's like i i got some supplies i sold a bunch of money from a bank and I got this Superman number one comic. Yeah. Mint condition, he says. But he holds it up. It's not in a sleeve. The He's already bent the corners on it. I'm just like, what have you done, Rembrandt? Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be a joke or not, where he's like, mint condition. and Or it was just like a prop that had been used too much. Because it was, it was like, that's not mint condition at all. I mean, it's still worth something. But also, if you find a world that's just like ours and... I don't know. There was so many weird questions about, like, where did you find the Superman number one? You went somewhere to get that? Yeah, he went to all the comic book stores in town until he found one. <laughs> then he took sure. it out of the protective wrapping that people yeah, had put it that's in. That's right. And just, like, winged it around and brought it with him. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because they slide to the other side of the slide hole and discover this other world. And uh, what they find is Quinn's house there. It's, it's full of refugees because on this world, essentially society collapsed when, like, the population doubled overnight. When all the doubles showed up on this world, yeah. the governments failed, warlords have taken over. This neighborhood in particular is run by a warlord known simply as the boss. That's right. Um, and he's so disappointing when you meet him. But I actually, it took me about halfway through the episode to realize that the two nuns 
uh, were the same actress. Oh, I had no idea either. I, it wasn't until like they announced it's like we're yeah. the same actress. I'm like, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know why I was like, oh, okay. I think because once you're in a nun habit, it's like just hard to tell. It's just it's yeah. So like putting on the Batman cowl, Jordan. No one knows who you are. <laughs> I like how many Batman references we've had in this podcast. It's just for you. It's like when you put on the uh, Exo Man suit, Jordan. No one knows who you are. What's it called? What was his name? Exo Man of War. Oh, there we go. Yeah. It's like when you put on the Bloodshot suit, Jordan. <laughs> he doesn't wear a suit. Uh, the people of this world think it was God's wrath that sent all the double. So they uh, they don't know anything about sliding. They think this is all just like some cosmic uh, religious like nightmare they're living in. And uh, the double's just like, no, no, no. It's all my fault. I sent everyone here. Let me show you by turning on my slide device. And so funny, he like turns it on so a slide hole opens, and then just one of the nuns throws a glass of water on it. And I'm like, okay. I never understand how this works, though. I thought the slide holes could only open at the end of a timing. Like once they've timed it for something, and then they go, oh, we have three hours. How can they just open a hole whenever they want it? Well, it's because uh, Quinn's double is much smarter than Quinn and like got rid of that pointless, uh, pointless countdown. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. But Fair Quinn enough. does not take that technology with him. He meets a guy who can help <laughs> him, but he's not going to take it with him. Well, because he's a horrible monster who did the same thing he did, but to a much bigger degree. At any rate, they've now broken the slide device they just built, so they've got to go to a hardware store for replacements. But as we've said, this uh, this San Francisco is run by warlords. It's a little dangerous out there. they got to be careful. And they uh, thankfully, they yeah. sold all that cash. And when they get to the hardware store, it's, it's guarded by, like, the police of San Francisco are now working for the warlord. And they kind of, like, you know, protect businesses and, uh, you, know, you know, basically, like... Gangsters, so normal police officers. They're just they're they're carefully like monitoring things. And when they cops see them buying all this equipment, they they call it into the boss. They're like, yeah, we seen some guys doing something weird at the hardware store. And I guess they get the orders to go after the sliders because what we see is a uh, a police car chasing them down the street. The police are firing wildly out of the side of the police car at them. They're just shooting guns at them at the side of the police car. Yeah. And probably the best line of this episode, maybe both episodes, is they run away. They're they're escaping these police who are firing at them from the side of the cop car. And when they get away, Maggie's just like, whoa, these cops aren't like back at home. And then Rembrandt says, speak for yourself. Yeah. I was like, all right. You win that round, Rembrandt. I was like, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's nice that Rembrandt is like, listen, let's get real here. That's not that different from reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they escape. They fix the slide device. Quinn has a biomed device he's found that he uses to calibrate the slider device. So it's only going to take the right people from this world back to their original world. But there's a catch. When they activate the, quote, massive slide wave... Uh, it will collapse the path between these two Earths. So this is a one-way trip. They're sending everyone back, but no one's going to be able to come back and forth anymore. And it's at this moment, we're well into the episode, more than halfway, I'd say, Rembrandt suddenly volunteers some off-screen information that we had had not been privy to, and he's just like, well, not everyone wants to go, Quinn. A lot of the people I've met in this world have started new lives and have families now and have marriages. Yeah. And I was just like, what? wait, what? This is what the episode should be about, not these dumb adventures. Then. Yeah, it is funny when you have a line like that where you go, oh, that's the episode. That's interesting. And they're like, nope, nope, just teasing you. That's not the episode you have. We got to beat the big boss. Well, this is the moment, too, where that nun's just like, she steps up. She's kind of, she's been there. She's not really a character. She's just kind of there. She's just like, let me tell you something. I met my double nun. And they cut the other nun. And I'm like, oh, those are the same woman. I get it now. And they're yeah, like, yeah. we loved meeting each other. But we're going to decide for this whole world it's better if we all go home. And they're like, great, moral problem solved. Let's go. 
Yeah, and it is funny. This is the point of the episode where it feels like they're like, okay, we wasted enough to- wasted enough time. Now let's speed through the end because they're like, hey, um, there's some guy named Alberto. He's got an eye patch. He works at the power station. We need him to like, uh do something at the power station i was like what is that the point of the episode now yeah now it's just a race to the finish they're gonna go to the power station to power the slide device because it needs a lot of power to work this time it didn't seem to need it last time but that's fine um and also jordan it's not just a power station it's a power station slash the boss's palace <laughs> that's right that's right yeah yeah because everything needs to be conveniently located for the purposes of getting through this he has a cane by the way so you know he's a villain yeah well they're immediately caught at the power station and you meet the boss he is a, he's a former greeting card writer who has become a dictator. <laughs> I mean, if you can, right? Yeah, I mean, he loves it. He loves it. Um, he kind of believes a slider story about this sliding thing, and he's kind of into it. He's just like, oh, sliding, eh? That sounds interesting to me. And uh, Quinn's double's just like, what if we offer him sliding technology in return for, like, research and, like, stuff? Because I am amoral, so, like, maybe we can just work for this dictator. And Quinn gets mad. It's like, never. We'll never do that. I hate I hate that idea. You're a bad double of me. Like, that's just, like, that plot line continues. Mm-hmm. And, and they do the thing that they do in this show quite often, which is they put them under lock and key, all the characters, but not really. But it's, like, just enough to, like, they're like, we're going to put you in this room. Now we're going to take you back out. Now we're going to put you back into this little prison now we're taking you back out and they do that like two times in this i was like why is this literally you're just just running to the end you have you don't know what to do with all these characters yeah and quinn refuses to help the dictator learn to slide so the dictator's like all right well shoot that quinn and uh, as one of the one of the police officers goes to shoot quinn quinn's double has a change of heart and like jumps in front of the bullet although the bullet must have been terribly aimed because it like literally just wings like yeah. the arm of uh, Quinn's double to the point that there's a really funny shot that I can't believe they kept in. But like Rembrandt runs over to help Quinn's double. He's like, oh, my God, are you OK? And they like they go to look at the shirt and they can't find any blood or a hole in it. And like Rembrandt literally starts laughing. The actor starts laughing like this doesn't make any sense. Like he starts laughing in the shot because it like there's I, I was like, did he not get hit? Like it just doesn't play. And you can see the actor yeah. being like, this isn't working. And, like, he's laughing in the shot at how bad it's not working. I'm just like, that's fine. Just keep it in the shot. No problem. Yeah. And it is funny because, it, for one, it's if, if he hadn't jumped in front of him, it clearly just would have missed Quinn. And then, yes, I noticed the same thing. It's just like, there's like, oh, we just didn't have time to put any blood or anything. So he was shot. Just trust yeah, us. Yeah, the actors literally in the shot are like, this doesn't make any sense. And uh, we can't yeah. even kill the straight face doing it. I'm like, cool, you guys. Let's keep it in. Um, but they escape, yeah. they have a fight, and then they get to the power grid. They plug in the slide slide device, and you, you see a really weird slide wave. Like, it's a new piece of slider technology. It's just like a big, a big orange wave just, like, shoots out, like a big circle out of there, and everyone's mm-hmm. slided back to their original Earth. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's all worked out for the, for the good. Unfortunately, unless you're the big boss guy with a cane, because now you're a nobody again. And Rembrandt punches you in the face. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Anyway, they're back. The problem solved. Uh, they're getting ready to leave the Earth, and they offer to let the double come with him because they're like, you're going to be the most hated man on this planet. And the double's had a change of heart. He's going to stay here, join the nun, and help bring peace back to his own world. Yeah. And my note at this point was, was this the best solution to the problem? I have no idea. Uh, like... I don't even, like I don't even really understand like it all just happens so fast and so randomly and it's just like and it's over and the point was this amoral Quinn is now a good person. 
Yeah, but I mean, you think about it, the whole thing is that he accidentally ripped everyone from their lives, put them to another world where there was doubles of them. They've seemingly been there for years. He said three years. So if time is moving the same in that planet, these people have had three years to deal with this and chaos has ensued and all this. And then at the very end, he's like, now you're all going to go back. I'm going to rip you back from that and put you back to a world that now hasn't been running for three years. And it's like a dystopian world where everything is crumbled and broken. I'm like, I don't know if that's a better solution. I think that warlord's going to be able to take over again real quick. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But yeah, that's that's it. That's the, that's the end of the episode. What a what a return for season four of Sliders. And I'll say this: that episode is Citizen Kane compared to the next episode we're gonna watch. Absolutely, Jordan. We read a comic written by uh, Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> now let's watch an episode directed by Jerry O'Connell. Here is the IMDb summary for season four, episode thirteen: Lipschitz Live! Exclamation <laughs> point. Yeah. Now, Mister Mallory is a. Uh... Slider, is that right? He uh, slides between those parallel dimensions, is that right? Uh, yes, Barry. The guy is an obvious phony. Well, wh- why do you say that, Pot? He's a media grabber. He's in it for the 15 minutes of fame. Look at him. He doesn't even have an outfit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Hey, hey, no, yep, yep. Come on, he's got a point there. An outrageous talk show host rules the airwaves of the world the sliders enter, and Quinn goes on his show to contact the others. Yeah, I'm going to make an argument that this is not an episode of television. <laughs> it's just not. It's not an episode of television. This should never, never have aired. Well, what do you think about the new slide hole? They have a new digital slide hole. Was it a new digital slide hole? Did you not notice the effects are completely different on the slide hole now? I, I didn't. I, everything about this episode is so bad, I was just like trying not to throw my computer across the room. <laughs> yeah it opens up and it's like the effects are different they're a lot more digital now they're like there's a different color scheme to the like so like at some point they must have come in and be like we're, we're revamping the slide hole for uh the, this new digital age i was just gonna say if there's one thing that was working on the show it was the slide hole. it looked fine yeah it does look worse now i won't lie it, it's very funny there's just like something that's just like not as uh it's not as organic anymore mm. but as as we mentioned before they're all going to slide to this new world, but all of the characters, well, I should say, of the four characters, two slide to, by themselves and then two characters slide by themselves. But we're going to see Quinn, he sort of slides into like a kind of an empty area with like garbage cans and stuff. So he's like immediately goes to look for the other ones. And then we get a new character, which evidently is his brother named Colin Quinn and played by Jerry O'Connell's actual brother, whose name was Charlie O'Connell, Charlie O'Connor. Um, and he sort of O'Connor? Uh, is spit out. Jerry 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 O'Connell's brother is uh, Charlie O'Connor. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, Charlie O'Connor. Um, and uh, and he's he's also by himself. And then the other two characters, who I think at this point in the show, they just don't know what to do with them at all. So they're just teamed up again together, and they end up hanging off the end of a building for some reason. Yeah, they're on the side of a skyscraper, almost the slide hole drop off the side. My favorite part about this is they're like, this is the first time the slide hole has ever dropped us all in different places. And they're like, I wonder why that is. And they never come back to it. They're just like, because the plot required it to happen. Well, again, you're going to say the word plot, and I think that's generous because it's not really a plot because that's what is going to happen in this episode. All the characters are apart, and they need to find one another. That's it. But as they mentioned very early in the episode, Quinn says, if we ever are um, can't find each other or are separated, we've already decided we're going to meet at this particular hotel, which I think is a very 
cool little idea and something that would make sense if you were in that similar situation. You'd have that a conversation ahead of time. But there's sort of like a series of escalating events that keep them apart, but they're not interesting. They're not real obstacles. You won't care as a viewer. And then the end, they're just going to get together. And it's just like, it felt like you were waiting for the episode to start. Like nothing happens. They're just, their characters walking around being like, I guess I, I'll find this person. It's it's a terrible, terrible episode of television. Well, that's just it. Quinn gets to the hotel first, the rally point. But when he gets there, all the rooms are booked because of uh, the corporate wedding of Infinicorp and Millennia Media, which is happening there. So there's no rooms available. And he's forced to go wait at the bar, um, where I guess he mostly what he does at the bar is he figures out how to uh, charge his food to uh, the one of the different someone's room. <laughs> yeah. And and this is where we're going to start get to see that Everyone in the world is seems to be watching television and seems to be very obsessed with watching television. Like it's in every window, every store, or restaurant. They're, they're playing TV and it seems to all be playing the same show, which is what's it called? Lipshits Live. That's what it's called. Lipshits Live. Yeah. And but he, we're going to get into that. But Luke, what is the comment this episode is making? Is it like is it anti-capitalism, anti-media, anti-corporations, anti-consumerism? Is it like media manipulation? I, is it? nothing is it everything i don't know what the comment this episode is what is it making well let's talk about lipschitz live real quick lipschitz live is essentially jerry springer with a little bit more of a like sort of paranormal angle to it but it's essentially jerry springer people fighting on on uh on stage bringing out crazy guests and like everyone in the audience hooping and hollering yeah and i guess this is taking place in a time period where where that was jerry springer and that sort of show was ever prevalent right like that was what people were talking about and people were i guess having conversations about i'm assuming i can't re- i barely remember this 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 time in tv yeah yeah i mean that's the idea is it's kind of that that fun but like lowest common denominator tv like i think at some point there's even a commercial and they're watching it for like Lipshits live uncensored what we couldn't show on tv very much in this thing of jerry springer would sell dvds of the same of the same nature Sort of happening below that is this idea of this uh, corporate wedding that's happening and what it's sort of saying is like in this world there's not a lot of TV stations left because all the corporate media has essentially conglomerated yeah. almost into a single entity. This is like kind of what what we're watching is the final merger of this episode. And I think you're right. Like, what is the comment? I think they are trying to just do a real broad parody of media, but they just don't have a good concept of what what media is or what corporations are. Like, there's just no one on it who's written it has like a really strong point of view on it so they're they're trying to go really like a very broad satirical take on like isn't tv weird these days but they don't have any real strong idea about what that means so all you see is just like here's a jerry springer knockoff and corporations merge well i mean that that's a thing like as much as you would hate if it was just a sort of overwrought moralizing at least that would have a point, and this doesn't seem to have one because you're right. It was this Jerry Springer-like character, and they're like, "Isn't that something?" And they're like, "Corporations are buying each other up. Isn't that something? Wouldn't it be crazy if weddings were done in a public way to represent these mergers, and we're going to watch them consummate their marriage because that's the same as a contract being signed? Wouldn't that be crazy?" And you're like, "I, I guess." I guess, but like, is it interesting? And I would argue, no, no, it is not. Yeah, it's a tough one. Actually, I felt bad for Jerry O'Connell. This is a tough episode to direct, and I think he's doing the best he can with the like very shallow material. Like, he's 
he's trying to make it as goofy and broad as he can, but it, there's just nothing. There's nothing to like sink your teeth into. So it's a real tough episode. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, Quinn's at the bar. He's waiting for his friends to show up. Meanwhile, Colin is uh, making his way to the same hotel, and um, something sort of happens to him along the way. Is that uh, he's followed by the two dumbest looking men in black you've ever seen who, uh, as he gets to the hotel, kidnap him. And what we come to realize is in, in the lobby, his double is sitting in the lobby and he sees the kidnapping happen of his of a person who is a double himself. That doesn't bother him so much. He's mostly just like, okay, I'm being kidnapped right now. Maybe that'll work out for me. Yeah, he's like, I can use this. And Rembrandt and Maggie get off the top of that building and they make their way to the same hotel. And when they get there, they find out, like everyone else, all the rooms are sold out. But they the... Uh, bellhop or the uh, person at the front desk is just like, oh, well, there is a Colin Mallory already checked in. So they go up and they break into this Colin Mallory's room and they start going through all his things. And it is so evident that this couldn't be their Colin. This has to be a double. They've encountered doubles before. I know. And they spend 99% of this episode being like, how did Colin buy all these clothes? How did Colin get these fancy suits? He's only been here for 10 minutes. And they're like, I don't know, but he must have. Like, they can't figure out it's a double. Yeah, not only that, when they eventually will meet him, he dresses differently, he talks differently, he acts differently, he seems to have no knowledge of them and only about the world. And it's the episode makes or asks of you to disbelieve and forget everything you've seen before in the show. Because you're right, because like the point of meeting doubles is a fun thing this show has done to varying successful degrees over, over three seasons. And now they're like, yeah, these characters can't recognize it. Why? Because the plot needs them to. Yeah, it's very That's why, funny. Because we need these characters to do something. And it's just, and it's bad. And not only is it bad, no offense to uh, Jerry O'Connell Jr., whatever his name is, but he he has to do this, like, New Jersey character, and it's it's not good. It's not good at all. Yeah, it's very funny watching them clearly meet a person who's just like literally saying to them i've never met you in my life and they're like oh colin you're so funny let's go meet let's go slide he's like i don't know what that is he's like yes you do yeah yeah it's bad but i what i like is they go in they break into his room they're looking through his stuff and you're like all right great so obviously the double is going to come upstairs come into his room and bump into them and that's where the miscommunication is going to start wrong the double sees the kidnapping and is like, I better get out of this hotel. He runs into the hotel and somehow Maggie and Rembrandt are now standing in front of the hotel, having teleported from the room they were just in. And they're like, there you are, Colin. And as we've said, Colin's like, I don't know who you are. He runs into the street, gets hit by an ambulance. And they're like, well, let's all go to the hospital with Colin so he can stay in a hospital bed with us for 90% of this episode so we can remove Maggie and Rembrandt from having any purpose in the episode. Yeah, and it is weird they did made that decision because it's not as if there's too much plot in this episode or that what Quinn is doing is so interesting because what Quinn is trying to well, do let's, is... Hold on, let's, let's get come back on. to that in a second. Like, okay. It's, it's, there's, it's such a disparate episode, it's so hard to talk about, and I don't want to jump all... So let's go back to Colin okay. for a second just because it'll make it easier. Sorry, Jordan, to cut you off. That's okay. What's going to happen with Colin this episode now that we've removed Maggie and Rembrandt from the episode? They're just going to hang out with his double... Just constantly saying, you're the real Colin, and he's going to be like, no. The real Colin, though, is dragged to his double's wedding, which is this corporate merger we had talked about. And as you sort of mentioned, the weird thing on this world is corporate mergers take place kind of like medieval royalty. That's right. And that in order for a merger to happen, two children from the heads of the corporations have to get married 
in order to have to like solidify the corporate merger. And as you sort of mentioned, the conclusion of that is they get Colin goes, he gets married, and then they go back to the hotel. And now they have to consummate the marriage in front of the lawyers in order to like complete the deal. And you know, Colin, we don't know him. It's the first time we're meeting uh, this new character, this new brother. The the Colin that I guess is the main character. He he's. A little dopey. He seems like he's a bit sheltered. Like, wherever he comes from, he seems to come from a pretty sheltered world. But he's, like, a nice guy is the idea. And he, he doesn't want to, like, mm-hmm. sleep with a lady he's just met. He, he feels very bad about that. So he kind of, like, won't do it. Yeah. And, again, uh, maybe not a n- nice idea, but there's something there of this idea of, you know, a medieval contract done in modern times, but they don't do anything with it at all. It's just, like, wouldn't that be interesting? Why? What are we saying? We don't know. No, no. The most they do with it is uh, when the bride walks down the aisle, uh, a bunch of uh, lawyers hold briefcases over her head to walk under. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, instead of kissing the bride, they sign contract. You're like, "Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we kind of see is Collins now, he's he's in the situation where he's like, this woman's trying to have sex with me. Uh, I don't want to do that. I feel bad about it. She, the the bride, to her credit, just like you're a little different than my Colin, and she starts realizing like this is not the same person. Like mm-hmm. you're too nice. My Colin's like a sleazy dirtbag. Uh, my favorite part though is at some point Colin tries to escape, so he like crawls out a window and then crawls in a different window. And when he does, he walks into a room where the two father-in-laws are basically having a toast to the corporate merger, having a drink, and the one of them is gifting the other father-in-law. A first edition of William Shatner's ninth tech war novel, TechNet. <laughs> I noticed that too. Isn't that great? He's like, I got you a first edition William Shatner novel. And I Googled it. I'm like, that is the ninth. That is actually the ninth tech war novel. In this world, they're still going to, like, that, that's all That's all happening. It's all contemporaneous. Wouldn't it be great if it, uh, in Sliders, every world they went to, people are always reading tech war? That would be amazing. It would be amazing. I, I loved seeing Tech War drop in. It was so so nice for me. I was like, I wish I was watching Tech War. What's uh, what's old Jake Cardigan up to? Tech War was better than this episode. Abs- oh, absolutely. And anyway, he goes in there and he's obviously dragged back to the uh, bridal suite to just like uh, finish, finish his uh, job completing the merger. All right. We'll leave that behind now, Jordan. Let's talk about what you want to talk mm-hmm. about, Quinn. But I mean, Quinn's thing is, I mean, you're going to go into more detail. It's like the basic plot is he wants them all to meet because he has the timer. And there's only an hour and 45 minutes left. Yeah. So he basically needs to have them all meet him. So his his realization, which is not a bad one, which is everyone watches this television show all the time. If I can get on the show, I can get on and announce to my friends, come meet me here because then we'll be able to slide it together. Now, there's something there, but it's like, it's just handled in the dumbest, clumsiest way ever. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is Quinn's busy with directing duties, or Jerry O'Connell is anyway. So they try to, like, make this as simple and minimal to the episode. So it's a bit odd. But, yeah, none of it works. Like, as you've said, none of this episode works. But the premise is he's just like, I'm going to go to that studio. I'm going to get on the air. And I'm just going to tell everyone to meet me here because we got a slide soon. And mm-hmm. I'll give you a little bit about Lipschitz Live. They give us a little bit of narr- or, uh, exposition here. What The bartender, I think, tells us that... Mm-hmm. Lipschitz was a reporter who made his name during the American War with Guam. <laughs> and as all the TV corporations began merging into a single, like, super corporation that was bought up by that guy everyone thought was the Unabomber. That's right. That was a weird line. I did not know what that was a reference to. <laughs> well, I was like, are do they mean the Unabomber? And in this world, it, it wasn't. It was a different person. I wasn't sure what the line was. I wasn't sure if they were, like, saying, like... 
there's maybe like this isn't the right thing, but like was there like a weird rumor in the 90s that like Rupert Murdoch, like a, a, some sort of corporate like head honcho might be the Unabomber? Like I'm thinking like uh, Turner, maybe like Turner classic movies guy was like, was there a rumor that maybe he was the Unabomber and they're just making a, like a joke on that or something? I have no idea. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's like a, a joke that's so um, in a time period that we just don't get it anymore. Yeah, I was also just like, I do not understand what this is a reference to. At any rate, once that happened, once they've all kind of merged together, there's a few other stations that do educational programming. But for the most part, Lipschitz became a star and now it's all everyone watches. So, uh, you know, Quinn heads out. He's going to get he's going to get his way onto this thing. And he goes and like just goes to the doors of the studio and he like the uh, production managers there. She's like pushing people out the door and Quinn's just like, no, no, you have to hear my story. It's good. You'll want me on. And she's just like, I'm not interested in any whiz kids science stories. We've got enough of those on the air. And then Quinn's just like, what if I told you I uh, slept with my female double one time? And she's just like, now we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny thing because they mentioned twice in this episode the thing that we talked about, which is that previous episode where he finds a female version of him, and we had had that conversation about having sex with oneself, and he and and I like that. That was a bit of like a I think inside joke because I I think the writers probably also know that that's all anyone would have talked about in that episode. Now I can't remember if they actually slept together in that episode. They're really coy no, in they this didn't. episode too. Like he's never like I he never says he did, but he he's really coy about it. it's like maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Well, he wants to tease him for letting him on the air. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but this gets Quinn on. They're, they're going to bring him on for a segment in which uh, Lipschitz is going to talk to, he calls them aliens. But uh, what he does is he brings Quinn out and he brings a man in a silver jumpsuit who claims that he's projecting himself into this alternate dimension from a different dimension. He's a real classic, like, kook in a silver jumpsuit with, like, a crazy yeah. hat on. He's, like a, he's, he's got crazy goggles. And most of what's going to happen here is every time they come back here, it's just going to be Lipschitz riling this, like, unhinged man up and then occasionally Quinn and him will get in a fist fight. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. They, they keep cutting back, and basically what it is is both of them say, like, Quinn goes, I'm a slider. This guy's like, I'm an I astral project. And they sort of argue about who's real or not. But you see that scene over and over and over, and then apparently, evidently, and sometimes Lipschitz is like, I don't know who to believe. Who do you believe, folks? And, like, you see that scene over and over and over. And then... But the, the one part I like is the first time uh, Quinn gets any sort of camera time, the camera comes to him and they're like, do you have anything to say? And he starts screaming to like his friends, meet me here, I'm at the studio. And they have the security grab him and start manhandling him. Then we cut to, you know, back to see what the other characters are. When we come back, he's just casually sitting in the chair. I'm like, they just, they, they put him back and he's fine. He's fine to keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Lipschitz Live, Jordan. It's all drama. It's all, it's all, it's all dramas. <laughs> also, why did he yell it? Why didn't he just say it? I don't know why. He yelled it out like he knew he was going to be stopped by saying this thing, but he's there to be a crazy person. So why would they not just let him say whatever he wants? Yeah, I don't know. Every cut back is always just like some variation on a theme. I think my favorite one was when they cut back. They've been talking to him for a while about being aliens and like how you project to this world and whether you can slide physically or just astral project and which one of them's real. And then at some point, Lipschitz like, I'm changing the topic. Are you two alternate defension welfare queens here to take our jobs? And I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah that's right. It, it goes back and he's like, like if you guys are living in the other world, how are you? How are you making money? So are you just taking a job from someone else? I'm like, and the audience is really into it. I'm like, I don't know if they'd be behind that point. It's a, it's stretching things pretty far. Yeah, it's very funny. Anyway, we'll, we'll go back to the rest of it. Um, Rembrandt and Meg have spent a bunch of time with the double in the hospital, 
and uh, finally they see Quinn on TV and they see Quinn demanding that they get down here to slide and they're like, oh, well, I guess we better go Colin, who we can't figure out as a double. And they're only finally convinced this man isn't there, Colin, when Lipschitz cuts live to the wedding between Colin and the other, the corporate bride. And they're like, oh my God, are you not our Colin? We better go get him from the hotel. And it's such a, it's so bizarre that it takes them that long. Like, it would have been funny if those characters had been established as really stupid, but they're not stupid characters. So it doesn't make any sense other than the plot mechanics dictate it. So it's just, it's just a dumb thing. And it's like, the viewer shouldn't be smarter than the show, and 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 they are, you know. Well, and the old thing with the Colin double is like he has more character trait than most of the characters this episode. But his thing is he doesn't want to go through this marriage. He's not into it. He doesn't want to get married. And then they're like, "We're gonna take you back to the hotel and swap you with our Colin." And he's like, "I don't want to. I don't want to get married." And then Maggie's like, "Okay, well, uh, I guess our Colin will be rich and you'll be poor then." And he's just like, "Oh wait, I do want to get married. Let's go to the hotel." Like that's. Like, they, they, they turn his character in, like, the line that, like, you won't be rich anymore. And then, like, suddenly he's just like, great, let's get my bride back. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. There's no no one has any purpose other than, like, to wait for the moment the plot needs them. Yeah, and they also just need, like, they need him to kind of become nicer so that when he eventually, I guess, gets married to her, it's not such a bad fate for her. I guess that's what they're saying. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really, none of it adds up for any particular reason, but... They race to the hotel to get their Colin back, but as we've said, their Colin is getting along with the bride because the bride's like, oh, you're nice. I know you're not like my jerky, sleazy Colin. And they've already left. They've already left to go to Lipschitz Lab because they've also seen it on the TV. So then we just all follow Maggie and Rembrandt, and they pick up the dad for some reason. So now it's like they've got like four different people coming with them to to go to this Lipschitz Live. They all get there. It's a big confrontation they all get on screen the slide hole opens the sliders slide away and Lipschitz like this is crazy tv isn't it and then it ends and that's it bizarre it's it's honestly it's the fact that we were able to talk about it as much as we did is kind of outstanding because it's I'm saying it's barely an episode of television yeah it's a very odd like they're really aiming for a very broad comic episode but it's not it's not working in any way shape or form that's for sure no it's just, it's just not good not good at all very strange very strange um so we didn't talk about it much jordan but like in the episode a big part of this is that colin's double has this stepdad who i guess owns one of the media companies i don't i don't remember which one but he own, he owns one mm-hmm. of them and he he pops up throughout the episode he's the one who's giving the um tech war comic away uh that's right i'm sure you remember you remember that character did you recognize him I didn't. Who was it? He was from a show we've already watched. His name is Tim Timerson. Okay. Or Tim Thomerson. I'm sorry. Not something crazy like Tim Timerson. <laughs> but he was in Quark. Who was he in Quark? Do you remember there was a character who was named Gene and Gene, and he was a character who had no defined gender. He would swap between masculine and feminine yeah. all the time. Yeah, he was a comedian. Yeah. That was the same guy. <laughs> Oh wow! Really? Yeah. So we. Oh, I wouldn't recognize him him thirty years later. Wow. (laughs) Quite a bit older though, for sure. Oh, good catch. Anyway, that's my only note about that episode. My only like fun fact about it that I have I have no additional notes other. I think we've covered everything. We're in the sci-fi years. Things have really changed. They've added a brother character midway through season four. 
obviously there's new plots and stakes. The Chromegs are back. We haven't had to see them, which I thought was merciful. We haven't seen any Chromegs yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, Quinn is now some sort of slider who's been adopted. Who like there's a, some new background for him that he's not trying to get home anymore. He's got a new thing he's trying to figure out. He's got a brother. Their original world is taken over by Chromex. There's so much has changed now that it's hard to even track. Like, we're just coming in being like, we're lost in it. And in these two episodes, which I guess are, according to our metrics, two of the best episodes of the season are bananas. Yeah. Well, and it's also weird because you're spending time now with characters that we don't know that well, right? Like, we know Rembrandt, but he's given almost no screen time. And weirdly, Quinn is given not that much screen time in at least the second episode. Um it's just weird. It's just weird to like jump in. And if you were a viewer at the time in 1997 or whatever this year was, it would have been a weird thing to jump in and see this kind of unfold, you know? Well, I think if you'd watched earlier episodes and you just happened to pop in and you're like, what's going on in season three? You'd definitely not recognize much of the show because so much has changed. I do think if you just were flipping through channels, this came on, you'd get the story. You wouldn't think it was a very good show, but you'd get the story still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, the the whole concept of the idea that you can get into this portal and go to any world where, you know, up is down and white is black and anything can be anything. There's so many fun opportunities and uh, stories you can tell. And it seems like they pick the most boring ones possible. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. Even looking back at World Killer, there is that brief, brief moment where they point out just like people were brought here three years ago and they've started lives like and like that's like that's the interesting dramatic idea behind that episode but clearly the marching orders are now there's no time for that this is a run and punch show now so you can mention it but we got to go run and punch soon <laughs> oh and i should say uh, it's interesting you say that because especially in this episode episode five a good 10 minutes of it is just people shooting guns like they're chasing each other and it's like you clearly tell they're like guys it's the third act people want action so that's what we're going to give them and it it's not really that motivated other than it's a lot of gunfire. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Jordan, what do you want to give uh, that episode, World Killer? You know, it's funny. My my review was 4 out of 10, and then we started talking about it, and I sort of like it even less. Uh, so I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. It was not a good episode of television. Yeah, I agree. It's um, hard to watch. I Because of what they do with the regular Quinn, he's just, like, the most irritating. Like, it's a really irritating thing to watch. Yeah. I, I think I liked the one... The one reference to the uh, Rembrandt being like, no, this is how the police are normally like. I thought that was like a funny line that I like. Mm-hmm. I want to imagine the Rembrandt actor ad-libbed himself because it's like, does it, cause it doesn't feel like the rest of it is smart enough to write that line. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I don't love it. I don't love how it was executed. But I do like the idea that like, they're introducing the concept of a slide wave. And I was like, I know it'll never come back, but I kind of like it's like in these sliders canon now, like you can have a slide hole, but you can also have a slide wave. And I'm like, oh, canon. Yeah. I'm going to go. Oh, and I also like I really liked all that stuff with the movie Repertoire House. I don't think they do enough of that. Like that's, pretty that's good. the kind of good gag that you can do that like shows a change in world. That is just like a real subtle one. And I obviously I don't think the writers put maybe the writers put it in. Maybe one writer was like, I've got a good idea. And they're like, well, we don't like good ideas, but we'll do this one. Yeah. So I will give that, I'll say three. I'm gonna go three as well. Okay. And then Lipschitz Live. It's terrible. I'm I'm gonna give it a one, and I think that's being generous, just because um it was aired in order. 
It's a bad episode of television. I should give it less. I'm being nice by giving it a one. It's terrible, terrible. It's wild that it is one of the highest rated episodes of season four. Like, certainly on IMDb for sure, but like in general, like it it came up in season four as like one of the best Mm. episodes. And it is truly awful. A truly awful. It's atrocious. Awful piece of television. No offense to Charlie O'Connell. Like, it's interesting to see this new brother's been added. He's... Like you thought, Maggie was a weak actor. I, I mean, poor Charlie. Yeah. They're they're asking a lot of him, and I don't think he's fully ready. And he has to like do all the heavy lifting this episode. Like he's not doing a bad job. He's doing his best. It's to a good point. Do a caricature, but like he's 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 doing his best. But it, it's a tough it's a tough role for him. I think. Yeah, it's it's a surprisingly bad episode of television. I would put it as one of the worst episodes of. Of television we've seen on the podcast it is it is surprising how bad it was and that it boiled up in our ratings to be one of the one of the top three it may really makes me wonder what these other episodes are like yeah um, but exactly. I, I agree it's it's a one it is it is almost worth watching just for like how bad like it's just like how did this get to air i know i know it's shocking it's like it it seems like we're being mean but it's actually shocking how bad it is yeah it's it's odd it's just like you guys really need to fill time huh if this script was just like well i guess we need it yeah it's yeah it's yeah i i i changed my view everyone should watch this episode <laughs> and honestly i have to give it to jerry o'connell it's just like you really like to be like i'm gonna direct one and i get like they gave him the most undirectable one and he's just like i guess i'll try yeah well it's it's a script where like nothing happens yeah it the tone doesn't fully like coalesce into anything and he's just like i as i was watching i'm like you're really doing your best on this jerry to find something but there's nothing here to find it's like someone pitched they're like hey do you remember jerry springer and you go yeah and then and then you just stare at each other yeah essentially and you go no but but what what after that you're like i already told you do you remember jerry springer yeah you're like is it jerry springer world no no no, that'd be more interesting yeah, yeah no no people just watch jerry springer in the world Oh yeah, but is 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 Jerry Springer different? Is it like, is it people are worse as a byproduct of watching this, so people are getting dumber, and it's a corporation purposely trying to make people dumber? Like, no. Oh, is it how we morally are getting more corrupt by watching this show, or is it that corporations are fooling us uh, into buying merchandise because of this show? It's like, no. I I told you, you've seen Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> It's terrible. Yeah, totally bizarre. Totally bizarre. But that that wraps it up for these two episodes of Sliders. We're mercifully done these two. Um, Oh, thank goodness. How much worse could it get? If you want to find out how much worse it can get, you can always donate (laughs) to bonus episodes for charity and make us watch another one. Yeah, man. It can't get worse than this. Bonus episodes for charity, of course, is our uh, initiative in which you do a donation to charity. We have a list of them as selected by our past guests. You make a donation to those charities. You let us know uh, which episode you want us to go back and watch of a, a show we haven't watched all of. So Sliders is a good example because we're doing a best of run. But occasionally on a ep- a one season one where we take the escape pod, we miss a few episodes. This is just our opportunity. If there's an ep- a show you liked that you're like, you missed an episode I think is worth watching. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's so bad you think it'd be funny to make us watch it. Or well, I don't know what your reasons <laughs> are. It's up to you. Um, but you can do that. You can get all the details on bonus episodes, bonus episodes for charity. On our website, continuedrag.podbean.com, there's a link to uh, bonus episodes for charity in the banner. And, of course, on social media, in our bios, there's links to it there. So go there, get all the details. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. That's how you get a hold of us via email. And, of course, on Instagram, Twitter, 
and Facebook. We're going to have clips from these episodes. You want to see what Lipschitz Live is? You're going to see what Lipschitz Live is. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, that'll be on uh, our social media. The handle there is at Continuum Drag. And uh, that wraps it up for this episode. So, uh, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>